What happened to all the leaders? We're here, aren't we? There are no leaders in here? How many husbands? Amen. How many wives do leadership in many, any ways, many ways, children? How many of us as children of a God lead those who are in the world to Christ? Are we leaders? Yes. That was just a freebie in case you think that there are no leaders in here. Different types of leaders, different types of ministries. So thank you for praying for the leadership of the church. We ask that you just continue to do so. Well, let's start. Did you have that thing up here that I had asked them to put? That Eric had? So I'm going to ask, ask Eric. You can go into the room upstairs. Go ask him. And How many of you know who Thomas Paine is? I should have said how many of you don't know, but, you know, you really should. In December of 1776, what was happening? There was a mighty contest in this country. There was a mighty conflict in this country. There were opposing forces. What was going on in 1776? What is it called? The American Revolution. And December of 76, Thomas Paine wrote these words. These are the times that try men's souls. He wrote a lot of other things. He wrote pamphlets about the revolution, but this is probably the most remembered of all of his statements. These are the times that try men's souls. And, and he didn't write this. This is what I'm saying. God keeps his promises. As we go through the material this morning in Exodus chapter 6, and you may be turning to chapter 6, let's remember something. We do not orchestrate what we teach and preach around the culture. There are times when the issues of the culture are such that we need to address them. But basically, we do not create sermons because of culture, except under certain conditions, and next week would be one of those. But this morning is not. But I think it's passing interesting that the Holy Spirit has us in our study of Exodus at this place. And so as we go through this material this morning and look at the truth of the Scripture, let's do so not in a disconnected way. Oh, I know that, I know that, I know that. But in a way that will allow Whatever is going on in the culture, whatever is going on in your life and my life, whatever is going on, not just because something has happened. Because you see, every day we are being bombarded by Satan. So this day isn't any worse or better than any other day. 
It is just the continuing work of a malevolent, relentless enemy to undermine the foundations of our faith. And I hope you can say with me, you're not going to succeed. You're not going to succeed. So you remember what's happening in chapter 5 of Exodus, which Evan went through last week. Moses could say in chapter 5, if we were to ask him, Would you agree, Moses, that these are the times that try men's souls? Oh, what kind of a day is this? What kind of difficulties? What, what is happening? If you would, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And yet, family of God, is it really any different today than it was then? You remember in chapter 5, it had begun with great promise. Listen to verse 1 of chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron, remember, after meeting with God and God giving them instruction and giving them all the encouragement that he did. After this, they went to Pharaoh. Now, one of the things that is extremely significant to get in this contest is that this is a real contest involving real people. But even though it's a real contest involving real people, God has a larger picture for us to understand about what's happening spiritually in the heavens and what is going on in our lives spiritually. As we look at this little bit of history of mankind and extrapolate from it, not allowing it just to be a little history then and we're moving along, but to extrapolate from that little bit of history something hugely significant about today and about the way this universe works as God rules over it. And that is this, among many other things. Pharaoh is a picture A real man, but a picture of the God of this world. You remember the God of this world. First John talked about it, that the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the light of the gospel of Christ. Jesus said the God of this world is coming after me, but he has nothing in me. Remember in John 14, 30. So we have a revelation here of the God of this world as pictured in this Pharaoh. And then we have a revelation of the man of God as pictured in Moses. And there is a Cosmic conflict happening on earth at this particular time in history. That is a picture of the continuing cosmic conflict until Christ returns. And Moses is in the middle of it, just as all of us are in the middle of it, and will continue to be until this world system is ended. 
So he says, we go to Pharaoh and he says, thus saith the Lord, thus saith Yahweh, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may, not, may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Moses had every reason to expect that this would be successful. You see, I'm sending you. Remember in chapter 3, the Lord told Moses, I'm sending you. But look at verse number 2 in chapter 5. But Pharaoh, who's, who's Yahweh? Who's the Lord? That I should obey his voice and let Israel go. Are you kidding? I don't know Yahweh. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. What does Moses feel? Confused. Questioning. Disappointed. I mean, how many of us have had a word from God? How many of us know the word of God well enough to know that this is the will of God in this particular direction? And then we begin to walk in that direction, and all of a sudden, all the walls go up, and we get hit, and we're thrown back. Have any of us ever experienced this kind of disappointment? The question is not have we, but how often have we? Because you see, this is the normal Christian life that Moses, if you would allow me to say it that way, is living. See, Moses is confused. He's already heard. The Lord said, I'm sending you. But you see what happened here. Moses is depending upon that promise of God. God always keeps his promises. He said, I'm going down there, Moses. I'm giving you this staff. I'm giving you the understanding of, of uh, your heart. Remember the hand, leprous and not leprous. Uh, remember the, uh, uh, I've forgotten the third one. There were three. Somebody remember, you can yell it out to me. I can't remember now. Went brain dead. But anyway, I'm sending you down in my power. And I promise I'm going to deliver the people. And stand before Pharaoh, it doesn't happen. What is the first thing in Moses' mind? What do you think? What happens in our mind when all of a sudden we hit something that seems to deny that God keeps his promise? What's the first question you have? God promised what happened. Do you hear the, the serpent beginning to whisper in your ear? Remember in Genesis chapter 3? Hath God said? Do you really? Did, is God keeping his promise? Is it this time that he has failed? What's going on? Well, you see, what had happened was... Moses certainly remembered that promise of God, but here's another promise of God that he had not remembered because the Lord had already told Moses in chapter 4. He says, Pharaoh will not let the people go. Remember, I'm going to harden his heart. Remember that? And by the way, the same God who hardens Pharaoh's heart is the one who softens our heart to be saved. Aren't you glad he's sovereignly ruling? What was going on? You see, the Lord was using Pharaoh's resistance. Now, don't keep it in the arena only of Pharaoh, but bring it up to our own arena in your life and in my life. God was using the Pharaoh's resistance to further strengthen and prepare Moses to victoriously stand before and overcome 
all the assaults and deceptions and schemes of the God of this world. That's what was happening. Moses was in God's spiritual gym. Right, Mac? In God's spiritual gym. And God was allowing Moses to feel the pressure and the difficulty and the strain of working out in his gym. So that his, as he does this, Moses then spiritually ready to go out and tackle this demon who sat on the throne of Egypt in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in Moses' own ability. Is that what's happening in our lives today? Is that what's going on? Can we trust God's promises? You see, Moses was learning to more fully depend upon the power and the methods and the timing of God. May I repeat that? Moses was learning more fully to depend upon the power, the methods, and the timing of the Lord. Remember Proverbs? How many of you remember this word, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all of your ways, what? What? In all of your ways, what? Acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. This is what's going on. Moses is beaten down right now. I would believe that many here, or at least some, you're beaten down. Things have boom, boom, boom on your life. Difficulties, problems, oppositions. Things seem to be falling apart, coming unraveled. Stuff is happening. If you are alive today, something is going on in your life that you're not excited about. Something. So Moses needed to be encouraged. He needed to be strengthened. So what does the Lord do? He reminds him of his faithfulness to keep his truth. You see, the issue here is this. Moses is acting on the revealed will of God. He's keeping the will of God. He's walking with the Lord. He is obedient. Perfectly so? No. But basically, this is a man of faith moving forward. And he's challenged, and it isn't working the way he had anticipated and hoped. And as in Moses, as in all of us, the challenge always will be about God, about his character, about his ability. It's always going to be that way. Haven't you noticed that in your own life? That when things begin to go on, what is one of the first thoughts that you begin to think? It's about God. Oh, you don't say something. You just go back to God and make sure he understood what you prayed for last night. Or oh, you just going to make sure you read that passage one more time to make sure, Mike, that you read it right. Or oh, you're going to go see one of the pastors to make sure. What is it saying? And we should do these things, but what is it saying? I'm concerned about God here. Can I trust him? 
You see, like the rest of us, Moses needed to be reminded that God always keeps his promises. Listen to this word in Numbers 23, 19. And you've heard this before. <clears throat> God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Has he spoken it and will he not fulfill it? See, Moses needed to be reminded, to be refreshed, encouraged, and armed because he is about to enter the great cosmic conflict in which God will use him to overthrow the power and the authority of this Pharaoh over his people. You see, Moses needed to know God was still at work keeping his promises. I need to know that. I need to know that when it looks like things are becoming unraveled and things are not going well and I have that questioning attitude and fear and anxiety in me, how do you know you're questioning? Because your guts tell you so. How many of you know you feel it in your guts? And you know what that tells you? You're questioning. And the Lord knows you're questioning. He knows that. So the problem isn't that you're questioning. The problem is that you will agree with your questioning. So don't ever worry about whether you're questioning. You're going to question, and that's good. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is showing you that there's an issue here and there's an area of trust here that you need to learn better. I mean, I was an English teacher, and I know that the students didn't feel this way, but tests were good. How many of y'all were excited when the teacher walked into the room and said, let's have a pop test? I used to do that regularly. Why? Because I mean, no. Because the only way I could get the students to keep up with the material on a regular and daily basis is to give them pop tests rather than waiting for the exam at the end of the month or whatever. And then they spent the night before cramming and maybe passed, and then the next day forgot the whole thing. So they weren't excited about pop tests. But what happened was this. At the end of the semester, because of this, and because of their continually having to grapple with what they didn't know and becoming adjusted and continuing to be corrected, at the end of the semester, the grade level in that class rose significantly over the grade level in other classes of other teachers. And of course, I was accused of giving away grades. Well, whatever. God is continually giving us pop tests, and they're good for us. They're good for us. Moses is having a pop test. All of a sudden, whew, he has to face something in himself. Because you see, if the Holy Spirit allows Moses to face Pharaoh in the condition and remaining in the condition that he was in chapter 5, Pharaoh is going to eat Moses' lunch. And the people will not be delivered. So this is a good thing. Even though it doesn't feel good at the moment. Therefore, let's listen to the Lord's response to Moses. You know, what you doing? What's happening? Why didn't you? You know, and all that kind of thing. 
Look at 6.1 of Exodus. And let's look at the Lord's response. <clears throat> but, you notice that? It's a coordinate conjunction. It's an adversative. It reverses the thought. Moses is complaining, but. Notice what God does here. He does not rail against Moses. He does not punish him. He does not upbraid him. Think about that for ourselves when we are having difficulties in many areas. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send the people out. He's going to get rid of them. He's not only going to, he's going to throw them out of the country. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty, El Shaddai. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. You know, Arthur W. Pink reminds us, reminds us of this. There was no need really for Moses or even for us, that was my inclusion, to be alarmed or be discouraged. And there never is. There never is. But we are in a growing pattern here. The counsel of God would stand and he would do all his pleasure. This is the sure resting place of every believer. So this morning, in view of what's going on in the world and in this country, be assured God rules as sovereign. He has not abrogated his rule to anyone. His knowledge has not slipped. His control has not become weakened. He rules, but he rules his way through his means in his timing. But he does rule. God will always keep his promise. In fact, if there is ever even one promise that ever failed about God, then he is a liar. And the Bible says he is not a liar because he's God. So the Lord tells Moses to encourage the people and tell them, just turn to this people. They're upset. They're confused just like you are, Moses. They don't know what's going on. Things are happening. Sounds like everything's coming undone. Uh, we don't know which way to turn. Pharaoh still has the ascendancy. We're not getting the best deal. The evil people are still getting their way. So the Lord tells Moses, tell the people this. And look at verses 6 to 8 in chapter 6. I'm just going to kind of read through them. He gives Moses seven I wills. I will seven times. Number one, I will. He starts off, I am Yahweh. You see that capitalized L-O-R-D. Yahweh, that's the personal name of God. I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Number two, 
I will deliver you from slavery. Number three, I will redeem you. Number four, I will take you to be my people. Number five, I will be your God. Seven, I'm six, I will bring you back to the land that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. And number seven, I will give this land to you for possession. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Now you do notice that when you look at chapter 6 of Exodus, verse 1 starts off what? Therefore. Do you see that? Therefore. Is it in your Bibles like it's in mine? Therefore. What is it pointing to? Well, if you look back, I'm sorry, not in chapter, uh, in verse 6. If you look back to verse 5, the Lord has just said, I've done this, I've done that, and then I have remembered my covenant with Abraham. If you look back to chapter, verse 5, you'll see that. The therefore refers, I've re remembered my covenant, therefore, therefore, these are the seven things I'm going to do. What God is doing is in relation to what he has already promised Abraham. This is a continuation of the work of God as promised. You see, these were not new promises. These were promises of, these were a continuation of what he had already promised Abraham in Genesis 12 and Genesis 17. God keeps his promises. Why is it so significant and important that we know the Old Testament? Why? Because the Old Testament is the history of the faithfulness, the ability, the goodness, the love, the mercy, the wrath the justice, <clears throat> all about God. This is the history of it. And so when anything begins to go awry in our lives, when it looks like things are coming undone, we should, as the people of God, know enough about the Old Testament to be able to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us, oh, remember that, and remember that, and remember that, and remember that. And why? And in remembering, he can encourage us to say, I am the same God, Malachi 3.6. I am the same God who was faithful then as I am faithful when? Today. We all need this. Now, you may not think you need it. Wait till tomorrow, and you'll realize, oh, I need this. We all need it. Well, what were some of those promises that he made to Abraham in chapter 17? I've listed them. There were seven of them. He says this, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make you into a nation. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring. I will give, you, give to you and to your offspring this land. I will be their God. I will establish my covenant with Isaac. You see, it's the same promise that God is speaking through Moses to the people, reiterating what I told your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 400 plus years ago, I am now bringing into fruition and now enacting those promises that I made then. Now today is the day that you're going to begin to see the fruition and walk in the good of those promises. But in order for those promises to be fulfilled, we are going to face the God of this world who opposes 
any and every promise that God ever has and ever will make. Why? Because Satan's desire is to show that God cannot be trusted. Hath God said? Do you really think that he's going to put you to death? The problem is that God doesn't want you to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he knows that in the day that you eat of it, you're going to be like he is knowing good and evil. He doesn't want us to trust in what God has promised. You see, in these promises, the Lord is, and he still does this today, he is affirming that he is the same faithful covenant-keeping God. He's the same. I am the same. I change not. Malachi 3.6. But you see, they didn't listen. The people didn't. No, you don't understand. We, our problems are too big. I think I'm in a situation that God has never experienced before. Yeah, but, and I know we laugh, and it is cute, but what? We really do think that, don't we, Chris? Come on, anybody ever really kind of, but you wouldn't say it. But, but, but we feel it. God doesn't understand. He doesn't care. He's confused. He's slow. He's whatever. All of these are the bombarding thoughts of an enemy who is trying to undo our faith so that he can come in and great, bring greater destruction in our lives. And this morning I know what the Lord wants to do among us. Not because of this ruling this week, but because of that and everything else in our lives, he wants us to be his people that truly know and are settled down into a trusting that our God is God and that he will do what he has said he's do. He said he will do. That's where he wants us to be every day of our lives. Notice again in verses 4 to 8. Did you notice that verse 4 begins, I am Yahweh? Do you see where I am? Verse 4 begins with, I am the Lord. Do you see that in your Bible? How does verse 8 end? With the same statement, I am Yahweh, the Lord. Yahweh is God's covenant name that he reveals to Moses, you remember, in chapter 3 in the burning bush. It's God's covenant name. And let's notice this, that God was telling Moses that the ability to keep his promises is something that he has sworn to himself. By bracketing the promises, beginning in verse 4 and ending in verse 8, by putting brackets around all those, promise, those seven promises, God is saying this. That the basis of his keeping his promise was not the result of the character and ability of Moses or the people or anyone else, but the result of the character and ability of God himself. And we have to learn that lesson 
because so often we feel that if something, if something happens, one of the things we do is we begin to try to figure out, what have I done wrong? Right? What have I done wrong? It's my fault. Now, there may be a fault in that. There may be something that we have done wrong. But you see, God's ability to keep his promises is not because of our character or our ability. It's because of his. How many of you are glad of that? Do you know how long any of us would have been in the faith had it been on our ability? About 10 minutes. And that's long for some of us. About 10 minutes and we'd have been out. So God, knowing that we are incapable in our own strength to keep his promises, he swears by himself. Listen to this word in Hebrews 6, 13. This is what he's saying. You see, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. He's saying this whole thing is because of who I am. And so in chapter 6, Verse 13 of Hebrews, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtaining the promises. What do you mean God swore by himself? You see, all the promises of God that are made to us are first made and are contained in and are the result of a promise primarily that God the Father has made to God the Son. Every promise we have is rooted and grounded in the promise that God has made to his own Son in Psalm 2, 7 and 8. Behold, I will give you the nations as your inheritance. See, the son is told, if you obey me, as a man in the incarnation, as this man Jesus who walks the earth, if you obey me, I will keep all my promises. Because they're all in who you are and in what Jesus does. So God swears by himself, by his son. The son says yes to that. And so there is that, if you would, covenant agreement within the Godhead before the foundation of the world that anything and everything that God does in us, for us, through us is primarily a result of that great covenant keeping decision of God before the foundation of the world so that as we walk in these promises and obey them and trust and they are being worked out in our lives, this covenant relationship and covenant keeping Jesus is being manifested in us and Satan hates I think this last week has proven at least something that's true, and maybe all of us already know it. 
that politics and circumstances of life so often sound louder than the promises of God and challenges. Is that true? What's happening to you medically, financially, relationally, what's happening politically, you feel it. And sometimes, and too often maybe, these shout louder. I have to, just like Keith said, I have to battle these things in my own life. Gene would tell you. I have to battle them. I have to be aware of them. I have to remember that there's something greater than what's going on in the world. See, listen to this promise that the Lord has given through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.20. All of the promises in Christ are yes. What does that say? Every promise that God has made from Genesis all the way through to Malachi, including all the gospel promises and all of the work of God in Acts, Paul is saying everything that God has ever promised those who are in Christ, those who are children of God, God is going to keep his promise in us. Can we get that today? If you are saved, if you have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and have the gift of eternal life because you've trusted him, God has committed himself to the very life and death and resurrection of his son to keep his promise in us. I am so glad it does not rest in Peter Davidson. And I think you're of the same character and of the same thought as I am. You remember those promises that the Lord made to Moses in chapter 6? Remember them? Well, how many of us know the history? Did God keep those promises? Did God keep them? Yes or no? Huh? Yeah, he kept them. He actually kept them. Every one, God actually did what he said he was going to do. Why is that important for us? Because you see, God is the same promise-keeping God today for us as he was then. As he kept them for those people. And let's face it, that was a knucklehead group of people. Oh no, you'll see in... Genesis, Exodus, as we go through, they were ready to, in chapter 20, yeah, we agree with the word, yeah, we're going to believe, yeah, we're going to believe, hallelujah. And then Moses goes up in the mountain, they build a golden calf and turn away from God like that. How quickly we do that kind of thing. But God kept his promises. And as surely as he kept every one of those promises, he keeps his promise to us today. Now that should encourage us, amen? But it also should sober us. We should be encouraged. Well, what, and what are some of the promises that encourage us? Well, I'll just go through one or two. I mean, there, there's so many promises. We'd be here all day, all night, and the next day. First of all, God has promised to save his people from their sin. Matthew 1.21, remember? The angel said to Mary, what? And you shall call his name, what? Jesus. Why, Sandy? 
because he will save his people from their sin. Well, what does the name Jesus have to do with anything? What does that mean? Well, if you were Jewish, you would know. The name Jesus is the anglification in English, anglification of the Hebrew, Yahshua. Yah, J-A, in Exodus 3.14, Moses says, what is your name? What name shall I tell them? He said, tell them that Yah has sent you. I am. This is the name of God, Yah. Hallelujah. Elijah. All the J-A's at the end of these names. This is the name of God. This is the great covenant name of God Almighty, Yah. Exodus 3.14, tell them my name is Yah. That's his name. I am. Okay. What about the second part? The second part, Yahshua. The second part is the name Hosea. Hosea. Hmm, Okay. What's so significant about the name Hosea? The name Hosea means what? Salvation. Saves, redeems, delivers. So when you put the two together, I am what? Salvation or the Lord saves. So this is what he's telling us. Name this child Yahshua, which means that God who has promised to save his people has come in this child born into mankind to be the Savior of all of God's people. Amen? That's a promise. He's not only promised to save us, he's promised to keep us. You see, because if he saves us against all the work of all our sin and against all the opposition of the enemy to try to get him not to save us, but against all of that, forgiving us of all our sin, he does that work. Can he not, having done the greatest work of our salvation, can he not now keep us saved? Yes or no? Can he keep us saved? Yes. Now, there are means and all that, but we're not going to go into that today. We've said that in other times. He can keep us saved. You may be worried this morning, am I not going to be saved because I yesterday I did that thing again? Oh, I thought that I went there, and I've called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, Father, forgive me. God is at work in you. That concern you have is God the Holy Spirit churning up your heart. You see, Satan wants to trick you into thinking, ah, you're going to hell. You see, you've fallen out of God's grace. You've missed it. Listen to these words from Jesus, John, uh, uh, John chapter 6, 39. And this is the will of him, meaning God, who sent me that I should lose no one or nothing. How many? I'm sorry. How many? No one. I'm sorry. I, didn't, I can't hear well. How many? No one. What does that mean? Rock, what does that mean? Nobody. That means even you, brother. Right? What does no one mean, Johnny? 
Nobody. That means that everyone whom Christ has saved will be kept. A promise. I should lose none of them, but I shall raise it up, raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will, I will, we hear these I wills constantly, God saying it through Christ, God saying it through prophets, God saying it directly, I will raise Him up on the last day. God promises to heal. He promises to heal us. He doesn't say every time you pray for healing, I'm going to heal you, Sophie, right? But there is a promise of healing in the resurrection. Last Sunday, some of you were here. Before offering, we asked if anyone was in need of healing, raise your hand. Does some of you remember that? And people raised their hands and people prayed. People prayed. People prayed. People around here, there. Well, let me give you two testimonies. I think there are more, but no one else wrote. And if there are more, let us know. Here's one testimony. I was having some pretty bad back pain in my right shoulder. Pretty bad pain in my right shoulder. It was even radiating down my arm. After prayer, it didn't really subside. Ah. See, you can't trust God. Hath God said? But this morning, this is Monday morning, I woke up pain-free in that shoulder, praise God. Yes. God's timing. Yes, yes. It's God's timing. God's timing. The other person writes this. I was in AFib. I think that means something about the heart not doing well. All day yesterday and last night. This is Saturday night. I was feeling so weak this morning that I needed to get a ride to church. Here's a person who couldn't even get herself here. And she didn't say, you know, I'm tired. It's raining. I'm busy. I'm going to worship God in his place. Amen. You never know what the Holy Spirit will do when you miss Sunday morning for whatever reason. You never know what you're going to miss. You don't know. It could have been the morning that God had decided that he's going to meet you right where you are and do something, and he may, that may be the day, and he may never come back to it. (gasps) You don't know. This foolishness about being too busy to go to church is such a wicked deception of of Satan. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. I had fibs, AFib. Couldn't, had to get a ride to church. After prayer, I felt 100% better. My heart rate and blood pressure are normal, and I am still feeling great. I had intended to ask you for prayer after the service, but my Heavenly Father got there ahead of me. God keeps His promise. Yes. Yes, God keeps His promise. Church, we need to be encouraged today. God does actually keep his promises. 
The devil's going to challenge you this week. You've heard a word this morning, and you're going to say, oh, great, I believe that. And Satan's going to come to, oh, yeah? You see, the world is applauding right now a judicial decision, applauding. <laughs> you didn't know I could dance, did you? And so they're applauding it. Oh, 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 wonderful. And uh, oh, Okay, fine, fine. Does that anger you? It better f- make you fearful. Fearful. Because you see, there was another day when something happened in the culture. And the minions of hell had a party. La da da da, he's dead, he's dead. La da da da, he's dead. Pass the wine, have a good time. He is dead, he's dead. He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And there were parades and all of that. Remember this when you watch it. But you see the last word was God keeping his promise. Because that late Saturday evening, this one who was dead came forth in life forever. Let him party. Let him hoot-ta-ta. Church, God's going to keep his promise. We need to be sober-minded because here's another promise. And this is not just for that world out there. It's for us. Be sober-minded. Here's another promise Jesus said to his disciples in John 14, 3. I will come again. I'm coming back. Church, we should not live as if what's going on in this culture has the final word. Jesus Christ is coming back. He shall return. As surely as he came the first time, as surely as they crucified him, as surely as they put him in the grave, as surely as they rolled the stone away, as surely as he came forth out of the grave and then the angels moved the stone so the women could see and the men could see that he wasn't in there, as surely as he ascended into heaven, as surely as he sent the Holy Spirit to birth the church, he is coming back. He is coming back, having in himself comprehensively kept every promise of God and will apply the good of the eternal promise of God to all the nations, to the church and to the unbelieving world. He will apply his promises. Everyone on earth will be the recipient of the promises of God. Everyone, not just the church, Because you see, the Lord has promised something for the church, and God has also in his Son promised something for the unbelieving world. 
in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Let me turn there. You might want to turn there. Here's what the promise is, or one of the promises. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heavens with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. He's coming back. He's coming back. You see, but this time, he's not coming back as the meek lamb, but as the conquering lion. Listen to these words from Revelation 19, 11. <clears throat> Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. He keeps his promises. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. On whom? Not upon the church. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed with in a white robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. You see Jesus is coming back but you see this time he's coming back not to be condemned by the unrighteous but to condemn the unrighteous. See Jesus is coming back but not to submit to man's culture, but to judge man's culture. Yes, Jesus is coming back. <clears throat> not to endure the wrath of those who rejected him, but to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty against those who reject him. He's coming back. You see, Jesus is coming back as a judge who will judge the judges in the light of his eternal word. So those who have made judgments in this culture that are contrary to the will of God, those judges and those judgments will be judged by this almighty warrior on that day. Have the party today. Play today but you're going to pay tomorrow. And we should, as a people of God, as Keith said, first be burdened for the name of God, but secondly be afraid, afraid for the world, for the culture. I remember hearing the report. I didn't know it had been. Somebody said, oh, did you know about the Supreme Court? Okay. And when I heard it, 
I'll just give you my sense of it. It doesn't mean this is God's word. I felt this way. I felt as if the lock on the gates of hell had been broken. That God, having withheld most of the satanic attack against the church and against this country, has now been broken. And I'll say this, church. These are the easiest and best days of our lives as believers. These are the easiest and best days. Let me encourage you and warn you, be in your word, be in prayer, be in worship, be in obedience. Don't allow anything or any one of this world, activity, busyness, or anything to throw you off from being steady and stable in Christ. Because the tsunami is coming. Weren't we told that in the last days these things would happen? How many of you are glad the last days are here? Yes. Well, then, don't be so rattled by what's happening. For we have a promise that before my return, these kinds of things are going to happen. But ready, he says, because I am even at the door. See, Jesus is coming back. He's not coming back to wear a crown of thorns, but he's coming back wearing a crown of righteousness. He's not coming back as the lowly carpenter, but as the great creator, king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back. So what should you do? What should we do? As a church, as members of the body of Christ, let's be ready. But I want to read these verses to some of you in here who may not be saved, who may never have trusted Christ. Jesus is coming back. There's no way around it. There's no way. Every person who has been born again will be with him forever. Everyone who has not been born again will be ushered into outer darkness forever. You say, well, you're frightening me. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. You need to be frightened if you're not a believer. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Oh, I believe that God has raised him for me, for me. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, let's stand together. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Two groups of people may be here this morning. One group, you're in Christ. Be confident God will keep his promises in you and for you. Amen. He will do it. Let's leave here today knowing he's going to do this. But there may be some here today that you came in this morning or you've been coming 
and you've not submitted yourself, you've not surrendered, you've not received the gift of eternal life by embracing the work of Jesus on your behalf to forgive your sin when he died at the cross. You say, I'll take a chance. There is no chance. The world's culture is heading off the cliff. There is no chance. Only thing you can do is to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Jesus is coming back. When? I don't know. Could be this year. I don't know. But if this morning you feel in you that gut-renting concern and fear and desire to be saved, I need to get myself right with God. I'm not ready for Jesus to return. Because if he returns and finds me outside of his kingdom, it is over forever and ever. I don't want to take that chance. There is no chance. If that's how you're feeling today, I'm going to ask you to do something, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Oh, many have done this, many. And I'm going to ask simply those who are around you to pray with you. Lord Jesus, forgive me and receive me as your child. I trust you and receive what you did for me. I'm going to ask you to pray that, meaning it, so that on the day when Jesus returns, you shall be with him forever. Anyone want to pray that this morning? That you're not sure or you know you're not saved? Anyone at all? Anyone at all, if you raise your hand. Others have done this, and we've just prayed. We're not going to do anything worse than that. We're just going to pray. You want to raise your hand so the people around you can see. One hand already. Is there another hand? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. There's another hand back here. I think I see a hand. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Some around over here, let's be praying. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. God is saving his people. He said, if you call upon me, I will save you. That's a promise. Anyone else before we close? Anyone else? Anyone else at all? That you say, today is my day. I don't want to leave here and face a God who is coming in judgment and in wrath with his armies. And I'll be praying for these who have the hand raised. Father, Father, thank you for this day in which we live. Father, many believers moan and bemoan what's going on, but really these are the most exciting days of all for the church. Father, for we believe we're living in the day when the Lord of glory shall return in the skies and we shall be with him forever. Father, he shall create a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth have passed away. And we shall dwell with you forever in this new city of Jerusalem. Father, give us wisdom these days. Give us discernment. Father, cause us to care for people to be door openers and not door closers. Father, let us remember that, but by the grace of God, there go I also. 
Father, except for your grace, we would all have been reveling in this decision. But we are here today having been saved and set apart. Father, we thank you for this. Father, we ask that in the next several days especially, that you would give every believer, many believers, Father, opportunities to talk to others. But talk to them redemptively. Talk to them in the the effectiveness of the Holy Spirit. Father, this decision and no decision will ever move us from trusting you and knowing that you keep your promises. Thank you. Thank you for always doing what you say you will do. Father, for those who have raised their hands this morning, Father, just confirm them in the faith, confirm them in their salvation, Father, if this is what they have decided to do by your Spirit. And we all say together, amen, amen. Thank you.